Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Yo, Liberty Lockdown folks, welcome aboard. Very special episode tonight. Very special. Double dipping, folks, because I love you that fucking much. We got first up, Keith Knight from the Don't Tread on Anyone podcast. He is a bad MF. Do not miss it. Followed by the legendary, angelic Liberty Anders, a.k.a. Maggie Anders, She's one of my faves. She's been on three times. She holds the record. Who's going to break it? We'll never know. This episode is brought to you by the great Daily Job Hunt. Go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up. When you sign up, what will you get? You ask me, Clint. Well, let me tell you, friend. You will get a daily newsletter that hits your inbox every morning. Gives you a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of information, and sometimes uh, kicking your ass. Get you going. You know why? Because not all of us are at the place that we want to be in our lives. Not all, not all of us are finished products. I'm not either. So if you are looking to change a career path, get inspired, maybe become an entrepreneur, all of it falls under the umbrella of the daily job hunt. Go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up. It's free, and I think you're going to love it. So give it a give it a see. Give it a check. Go, go check it out. Crash.co backslash daily. Let's get into the show. Love you guys. Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. You know what it is. We have special guests all the time. This is no exception. Keith Knight from Don't Tread on Anyone podcast and YouTube channel and Odyssey. Welcome aboard, Keith. Glenn, thank you for having me, brother. Good to see you again. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, so I was thinking about it last night. I'm reading this stupid book called On Tyranny. Um, I mean, it's not even a book. It's like a fucking leaflet, but... <laughs> have you ever have you ever read that by chance? Yeah, he gives 20 examples of fascism and tyranny throughout history, yeah. uh, referencing National Socialist Germany and Soviet Russia. And he's really saying, oh, this is Trump. OK, yes, it applies to Trump. You know who else it applies to? Everyone you support. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's why I called it a stupid fucking book is not not that the the idea of uh, analogizing our current condition to former you know fascistic or dictatorial powers isn't logical but his his just his endless efforts to tie it into the trump presidency as opposed to every other modern president is so exhausting and it's uh, that that was what led to the first question i had for you is there a fair historical cognate to what we're experiencing in terms of this tyranny Gosh, you know, it, it's so tempting to find examples and pin it on them because it's easier to explain and maybe a little easier to understand. This way, we can also know what exactly is going to come afterwards and how we can, you know, respond to it. So, you know, certainly uh, hyperinflation in Germany is something that uh, that would come to mind. Germany was a pretty well-established nation at the time. You look at, you know, the $100 trillion in Zimbabwean dollars. 
not exactly analogous because America had uh, currently has today a high productive capacity because of past investments in capital equipment. People have a lot more skills. They're able to uh, contribute in uh, more diverse ways as far as the workforce goes. I can't think of an exact example or uh, something that necessarily comes to mind, but that's a good thing about reading history. You can kind of pick, oops, sorry. Uh, you can kind of pick and choose uh, certain aspects of history and right. get a better understanding as a causal result. So while you can call everything Orwellian, while some things apply to Aldous Huxley's Brave, Brave New World or a book written before that called We in the 1920s, which inspired those books. So uh, I'm sorry, that was a uh, weaselly way of saying, no, I can't think of one. No, that's not a Weasley way. I think it's an accurate way. It's There are bits and pieces of historical tyrannical rulers that you can kind of you know, put them all together and come up with some sort of portrait of either the Biden presidency or just the last, uh, my entire life in terms of presidencies. Uh, but it, particularly over the past decade, it seems, well, actually the past two decades, it seems as if uh, the slope got really slippery and it seems as if the the clock on the inevitable whatever this becomes is upon us what is your prediction as to timeline do you think do you think we actually have much time because every day i wake up and i feel differently today i wake up and i'm like we have 5 years <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's my honest opinion so what do you think you know, I am so uh, trigger shy about, you know, making a specific prediction like sure. that. But look, like uh, we were saying earlier, you can certainly see trends. So let's take America in the 1930s, where you had a recession in the stock market in 1929. And then a very interventionist president, Herbert Hoover, triples government spending, starts these uh, work production acts, what we now call the Hoover Dam, gets big business together, sets uh wage and price controls. And then FDR criticizes him as potentially ushering in socialism, gets elected on that platform, and then FDR doubles down on the New Deal. So as a distraction from how bad New Deal Part 1 under Hoover and New Deal Part 2 and 3 under FDR, starting in, again in 1937, well, him and Churchill get together in August of 1940 and plan to provoke the Germans or Axis powers into attacking. This is verified in a New York Times article on January 2nd, 1972. It's called War Entry Plans Laid to Roosevelt. And they said, we're going to get the Americans on the side of the British in order to unite the populace by provoking Germany, was the uh, original target, into attacking America. There was then a secret memo by Arthur McCullum in America called the McCullum Memo, which said, here are eight ways we could get the Japanese to attack and justify a war. So while you have this economic hardship, you have, oh, uh, you, you have inflation at home, you have overspending uh, drastically by the, uh, the, the state, you have them uh, in, enacting uh, the Gold Confiscation Act, uh, slowly removing us away from the gold standard, and none of it's working. So what do they do? They justify entering into a war. That is my biggest concern. And of course, my colleagues at the Libertarian Institute, Scott Horton, is, oh, is terrified of Biden uh, siding with Ukraine and trying to bring them into NATO and provoking a war with Russia. So that's my biggest thing uh, 
Yeah. I'm so worried to say 10 years and everyone needs to panic uh, if I don't exactly have a solution. But uh, certainly I think the best thing you can do is assume it's coming soon, mm. you know, whatever this terrible collapse would be, and realize where economic wealth comes from. It does not come from printing money. The problem in the year 1000 was not that uh, governments didn't print enough money and the minimum wage wasn't high enough. The problem was people didn't have skills and productive capacities to meet satisfaction to meet the satisfaction or demand of a large number of consumers that they had good reputations with. So first thing is having a good set of friends. That I think is probably the best thing you directly can do. Because as much as, you know, we love to bash the Fed and as evil as they are, we're probably not going to change that. We can change the number of friends we have. We can increase our network. So we have a diverse number of people in our Rolodex that we can call. We know this guy who you know, we kind of get along with, but he's a, uh, but he's a carpenter and he can fix that drywall hole that I punched and I can let him use my 3d printer. So that's another relationship. So it's about building relationships. It's not about currency. It's not about the state, uh, give it, getting us UBI. It's about relationships, meeting consumer demand and, uh, freely trading with people to meet, uh, the satisfaction that we have in, uh, the scarcity of economic life. Yeah, that's a great answer. I, I think my my biggest concern and the reason that my timeline is shrinking so rapidly is because you can't, I mean, basically what we did over the past year is forget about production. I mean, the, yeah. and, and my belief is that the empire collapses not because of militarism directly, but rather ec economics, that budgetary wise, we will collapse or our currency will become worthless. And at that point, I think that that's where you could see the dying beast of the state lash out in some sort of militaristic enterprise um, or adventurism. And I tend to think that Russia would not be the focal point simply because they have nuclear weapons. I think that Iran still is near the top of my list for what stupid ending war to our empire probably would be. Uh, do you think that there's really a chance of a, a nuclear conflict? Gosh, you know, it's so scary. Um, I, I, yeah, th there's definitely a chance just because the people calling the shots have not shown themselves to be of high constraint and caring about the civilian populations. And even if you say, well, they're stupid or they're evil and self-interested, but that would just be irrational and not in their self-interest to have a nuclear exchange. Well, even when they do really bad things, the public still worships them because they're unable to think critically because of state uh, having a monopoly on compulsory education. So they don't even have the incentive to not totally screw up and look like idiots because people are unable to determine what an idiot looks like if they have a suit on and their title is president or <laughs> vice president. So, uh, yes, I uh, I do think uh, it, it's possible. Um but if you watch Oliver Stone's interviews with Vladimir Putin, this guy does not look, he, he seems like a nice little tyrant, of course, likes to invade neighboring countries, likes to let everyone, he will murder anyone in Russia, like, you know, the Libertarian Party in Russia was totally ransacked. This guy's totally terrible. But I just don't think it's on his agenda to initiate conflicts. I think he would much rather have an alliance. And I see that uh, as in much more of his self-interest. I think he constantly is giving out a uh, carrot to the American politicians who 
will throw out the most ridiculous Russian nonsense. Remember the Russian bounty hoax of, you know, Russia's hiring Afghanis to kill Americans, which just evaporated. That just that's totally gone in the presidential debates where like 80 million people are watching. Hillary Clinton says 17 intelligence agencies have confirmed Russia sided with Donald Trump. 17. They use this number for a year. And then The New York Times redacted it, saying the number isn't 17. It's actually four. the CIA, the FBI, uh, you know, the director of national intelligence and the NSA. In other words, the four groups with the worst reputations on planet earth so yeah uh they're constantly trying to provoke russia and i I, it's definitely possible that's a that's a sad thing Um, yeah no i'm not and believe me i'm not naive enough to believe that it's not possible it's just that if you're going to try and and start a war to keep this titanic afloat it seems as if you wouldn't start one that could almost certainly sink your ship and and fighting with Russia, I think, would be that catastrophic that it, it's just there's no winner there. So I think that if it ends up in a nuclear exchange, it's going to be by accident. It's going to be by a, a tit for tat escalation. And then and then perhaps they they misread something on on radar or something crazy like that. I mean, I think that's really the worst case scenario, because at the end of the day, as you said, you know, Putin, not a good guy. However, when you listen to him talk, he, I mean. If you take anything that he says at face value, he is far more honest than any of the American presidents in my lifetime. I mean, and, gen- genuine. And that's how bad they are. They've gotten us to defend Putin. I that's know, right? how terrible. Can't you guys do anything correct? Um, <laughs> but it's true, but, though. He, the, guy, the guy tells yeah. it like it is. I mean, he really, especially when it comes to critiquing American politics, the guy just, he lays out politicians in America and, and in a way that's like, really profound and and from our worldview much more honest so i have to respect that aspect of him at least you know not to say that he's good otherwise yeah well it's just so refreshing to hear you know someone like that like you know trump was terrible had you know uh mike lee give him the uh anti-presidential war authorization act where presidents couldn't just go to war by executive order trump refused it trump you know was a a bigger spender than obama maybe in his eight years but certainly in his first four years uh you know trump was just terrible on all these but he hit at the cathedral in mainstream media in such a way that was like Okay, yes, Democrats, I'm not here to defend him. I don't like him, but you're so bad, he's okay. And then I go to Trump and I say, you're so bad, Putin's okay, because if you're yearning for this sort of truth and you see the American politicians, we are doing, we are going to spread democracy. It's like, well, you don't even like democracy in America, it's like Trump gets elected and you pin it on the Russians. You don't exactly. say, you don't say, what, what did my Democratic constituents see in Mr. Trump that maybe I could emulate in my own policies? No, nope, you just called us racist and fascist and bigots and everything else. So you're not huge on democracy. What are these wars really about? And then you hear Putin say that Al Qaeda is a creation of the U.S. intervening in Afghanistan against the Soviets. And many people are not familiar with Operation Cyclone. So just to hear about that is interesting. And then you say, well, that was then, this is now. Uh, You can have, you know, you can have friends who are now enemies. You know, things change. That's nothing big. Okay. Well, (laughs) in Syria, Yemen, and Libya, the U.S. has sided with al-Qaeda. In Syria, it's al um, 
Oh my gosh, I can't. It's Jabba, Jabba Al Nusra. Oh yeah, Al, uh, yeah. Al Shabab is a uh, group of affiliates in Somalia who has okay, sort of yeah, pledged yeah. their allegiance to Al Qaeda. But um, as far as Yemen goes, against the Houthi regime, they were clearly sided with Al Qaeda. Jake Sullivan, the uh, current foreign policy advisor to uh, Biden wrote in an email that he's well aware that we're on al-Qaeda's side fighting against um, Assad in Syria. Right. These are the guys who belong to Ayman al-Zawahiri, who is, you know, probably third in command as far as creating al-Qaeda. Yeah. In Libya was the Libyan Islamic fighting group. Muammar Gaddafi, in, as far as back like 1996, called for the arrest of Osama bin Laden. He was not part of a bin Ladenite Islamic revolution across the Middle East. So, and he got sodomized nonetheless. <laughs> no, really. Uh, don't don't switch that. Uh, don't get away from that petrodollar. It's dangerous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, look, uh, Saddam was not necessarily allies with Al Qaeda. Iran certainly was not a uh, Al Qaeda ally, but Iran is, uh, you know, an enemy who Soleimani needs to get killed, even though he was previously someone they supported. Saddam, of course, supported during the Iraq Iran war. So, uh, so when you see these things that don't make sense, and then Putin sort of explains them, you kind of develop a soft spot when it's like, that's so easy. Why don't you guys do that? And that's why, you know, Tulsi Gabbard was so, uh, so, so likable from the beginning, because as, you know, as much as someone will call them stupid or pointless wars, look, if they were taking place in your cities, you wouldn't call them stupid or pointless. You'd say, this is so evil. I can't believe the human race is capable of this. So now when Tulsi actually said that we're siding with terrorists and tried to get a bill passed where they couldn't side with terrorists anymore and they couldn't pass it. And, you know, Rand Paul couldn't pass a bill titled read the bill law where you have to actually read the bill before you pass it. it some of those things are just so unbelievable that yeah. it makes someone it takes someone like Putin for us to say, huh, well, that uh, kind of makes some sense. Well, and it's funny you you mentioned Putin because Trump did the same thing. He said that. Obama created ISIS. And, and in a sense, he's correct. And it's just funny because when, when you talk about uh, Tulsi's bill that we, she wanted us to not be able to support any terrorist organizations or, or arm them or back them or whatever, or fight with them or alongside them. Uh, the truth is, if, if we were to do that at this point, we couldn't, we couldn't be in the Middle East because we have fought on both sides of basically every terrorist organization in the Middle East now. So, I mean, it, you and I have both read Scott Horton's Enough Already, uh, Time to End the War on Terrorism. It is, it is just jaw-dropping, the, the extent to which we are principleless, and the fact that anyone would even consider coming to a negotiating table or allying with the American forces after the past 30 years of what we've done over there, it's laughable. I mean, you would, I, you would do it perhaps on a short-term basis, just because you know that it will benefit you in the short term. But every single ally in the Middle East now knows we are not to be trusted. As soon as the winds turn, we will, we will absolutely stab you in the back. And, and in that situation, why, why else or why wouldn't you expect there to be, I forget what it's called, like a green on green crime or murder or whatever it's called, but you know, where they, they you'll have like, <laughs> no, the, that's, I've never heard that. That's funny. Oh yeah. It's like the, like if you have, say Afghani troops that we that we trained up when they turn on our American troops it's like well yeah because they know at some point the the friendliness and the arming and the financial backing it dries up so like 
these these people are just you using you just as we are using them. So I mean, it's only fair, honestly, but you can't expect us to have any sort of longevity. And I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. If basically we can't install a ruler in any of these countries that we overthrow. I know we say that they're democratically elected, but you and I both know we're just putting in puppets. So if you put in one that's strong enough, which would require the majority of the, the populace under that, that leader to support him, because that's how it would be a genuine democracy is that you would have the majority supporting him. If you were to do that, that leader could tell us to kick rocks. When we come to him, we say, hey, we want these special contracts. We want this. We want that. We need to stage our next military inter intervention from your country. He would tell us to fuck off and he would have the backing of the people to do so. So basically, because of our, our need to maintain these people as weak puppets, we only put in people that cannot galvanize a country, which is what produces these civil wars. Does that have you ever has anyone ever theorized this? Because it seems fairly obvious after I thought of it, but I was like, Oh, this is why. This is why Iraq's a disaster. This is why Syria's a disaster. Afghanistan, everywhere, you know? Yeah, John Perkins in The Economic Hitman certainly hints at the idea that it's not that they want to create an independent state that they could then deal with, right. but much more of a dependent state. Exactly. So at any point, they could pull the rug out from under you. The most famous way of doing this is giving them a ridiculous you know, uh, World Bank loan or something that you just know they can't pay back. Same thing they did with the housing crisis in 2008. Yeah. Same thing they're doing now with the college loan crisis. They give you loans that, uh, or they, they issue loans on behalf of a third party entity, Fannie and Freddie, uh, Sally Mae in America, World Bank uh, on a global scale. And then when you can't pay it back, be like, you know what, you, you, you don't have to pay it back, but here's what you have to do, A, B, and C. And then if you don't start abiding by those, well, then that's when you get uh, invaded. So, um, you know, uh, you, you certainly see uh, other examples like Ho Chi Minh was uh, friends with uh, the OSS, which we now know as the CIA. He's seen taking pictures with the OSS. And then Ho Chi Minh was the great enemy that they were fighting against. So, so again, uh, you see these, uh, you, you see these uh, things happening all over the place. Um, uh, Barack Obama actually has the best name for it. And he called it this uh, in his book. He was referring to the U.S. Uh, supporting Pakistan and then droning Pakistan uh, as far as the Pakistani Taliban goes. He referred to it as the pretzel-like logic of US foreign policy. And I said, that is so brilliant because it's like the very people you're fighting and going against you once funded, who you're now teaming up with in order to stab in the back so you could fund someone, so you could fight against someone else who you were previously armed with. That pretzel-like logic I think is the best. And Obama's the only one I've heard that uh, term uh, used by. Well, I just think it's so sad that if we're going to propagandize the American people to believe that we are doing this for the peace and prosperity of the people mm -hmm. on the ground, that you would then opt for, because it's a choice, you opted for a leader who represents the minority of the country because you need him to be weak. So what does that create? It creates a leadership role that only has a... Uh, I don't know, honor or, or belief in from a minority of the country. So then you have the majority population feeling as if they are disenfranchised, in which case you foment 
what events to what eventually leads to, towards civil war. And then we pretend as if we're surprised. And that's that's what's so exhausting about all of this is that it's so obvious if you're going to if you're going to do it and you actually want to create stability and you want to create a leader who is not going to allow for terrorism cells and things like that, you need to put a fucking strongman in there. Oh, just like the ones we just toppled. The guys that were actually already in power. And were they good guys? No, they fucking weren't. But ultimately, it only ends up worsening the situation. So even under the neocon ideology, I don't understand how they justify it. I mean, are these are these people sinister? I ha- like it, ju- it just makes me feel as if you can't possibly look at the past 20 years because... Kevin Castley, I've been going back and forth on the day. He wants to debate. <laughs> he wants to debate Scott Horton. I know you and I have both fucking ran this guy through the chipper, but um, it's just like that, they... th- that man is a masochist. Or <laughs> w- which one is the one who loves doing bad things to themselves and causing self pain? Is it sadist or masochist? Whatever <laughs> it is, both. that's him. That's him. He's, he's, <laughs> he's both. both. <laughs> <laughs> he's a big S and M fan, as I think. As I think, actually, in the bedroom, most most neocons probably are. Uh, but anyways. <laughs> Do you think that they are that they are evil? Because at this point, after all of the history, can you can you actually read this stuff and still conclude, no, 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 we're the good guy. We're trying to create stability, peace, prosperity, blah, 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 blah. So Jonathan Haidt, the psychologist, would say that uh, the there is something called the myth of pure evil, that pure evil or evil in and of itself doesn't really exist. Any person from the guy who beats his wife to the committer of genocide, whether it's Mao, Ho Chi Minh, Stalin, uh, Chiang Kai-shek, Hitler, they all have uh, what they say are their personal justifications and their, uh, you know, uh, the, the best philosophy in mind or uh, the, the best intentions in mind. So mm-hmm. any atrocities they create, well, uh, yeah, I did some bad things, but had I done nothing, then things would have been way worse. Right. Now, That's always the argument. Uh, I disagree with this because it even involves Jeffrey Epstein. He was asked by Brad. Oh, God, I always forget his name. The head prosecutor, Brad Edwards, I think his name was. He said, Jeffrey, what are you lying about this stuff for? We know we got like 60 women on record telling us all the same story. And Epstein said, yeah, more or less. He goes, I took these poor girls in, gave them access to mansions, private jets, flew them around the world. I I gave them a life that they never would have had anyways. So trust me, anyone can rationalize. Are they pure evil? Well, I don't know. Check out a video called Dark Secrets in of the Bohemian Grove and tell me if you think these people are evil. Uh, I'm sure uh, you might be able to tell the difference between a trip to the Grove and a trip to Disneyland. Um, If you think these are the same people, uh, I I, I beg Jonathan Haidt to come on my show. And he said, he goes, oh, Keith, I'd like to, but I'm so busy. I have these other projects. And then he publishes something in time. I said, well, you said you were going to come on my show. And and then he stopped responding. The point is, um, how can how can we um, verify or falsify, rather, this hypothesis that they're evil? Well, one thing you can do is look at how they would respond if they were well-intentioned. Well, when someone has your best intentions in mind, I really want to throw a party for you. I really want to surprise you by going on a trip. Well, they don't get your consent beforehand. And afterwards, if you don't like it, what they tend to do is some form of apology or compensation. So in the 
lens of foreign policy, do we get apologies? Do we get attempts to compensate with their own money? No, it does not count as compensation if you say, yeah, yeah I'm going to steal trillions from strangers and give it to you. That doesn't count. Because we don't see compensation, because we don't see rampant apologies, we do every, uh, you know, every now and then, you know, I think the guy's name was Walter Jones, who Tom Woods always uses as an example of a guy who supported the Iraq invasion of 03 and would like write a letter to every single soldier who died and their family, or he would write to their family, not to the soldier and say, I'm I'm so sorry. He, uh, you know, did uh, everything he could uh, to oppose it late, uh, later on in his life. So, uh, yes, we certainly are up against evil. You, uh, another criteria in an evil person is their disregard to, um, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of how I could phrase this. Their lack of regard to engaging in empathy with something they're in a position to know about. So when the average person, you know, says the Branch Davidians killed themselves or something, that what they are engaged in is a psychological form of, you know, uh, not being able to address something because the implications are too bad, so they deflect. I can't, uh, I wouldn't put that in the category of evil. But if you know about something as far as the number of civilians killed by U.S. drones and all this other stuff and what the military does, Bradley Manning's videos, uh, collateral murder, if you know that you're in a position to know and you still don't engage in empathy, you still don't try to right your wrongs, what are you going to call that? You have to. The only other option is saying that evil doesn't exist. And in that point, then you're just saying anytime you know, Ted Bundy could have said, you know, I, I was trying to give the woman a pleasant night by, right. you know, <laughs> or uh, the, the only reason I murder people is so they could get to heaven. So I'm really doing them a favor. Well, then you have, then you're the one with an unfalsifiable hypothesis of no matter what happens ever, nothing can be called evil. Well, we're still trying to differentiate. Uh, so, uh, yes, we are up against evil. Man, that was a beautiful answer. I I, I totally agree. I mean, it's either... I, even if it's psychosis or sociopathy or whatever, it's like if you are if you are the res- the responsible party or you are advocating on behalf of someone dropping bombs on children, I'm sorry. Like I'm gonna classify you as evil. Um, so call it whatever you want. I don't really give a fuck. I'm not. I'm not. I already did my debate with uh, Kevin Castley. <laughs> if Scott, like like I said on online today. I served, you and I served as the nails to their ideological <laughs> coffin and Scott Horton can serve as the hammer if, if he wants to. So let's see if that happens. I hope it doesn't, honestly, because this guy doesn't deserve that fucking airtime, but you know, it is what it is. So to you, uh, are you are you a voting ANCAP type? No, and there's actually a funny story that I'll tell. I won't tell you about me, but I will tell you about my friend. Okay. And my friend thought that he was registered to vote so um in god it had to have been 2014 uh doug ducey running for governor in arizona he was a republican at the time goes in and there's some confusion they ask him for his id and they said um they're like well you you need to show your id oh your name's not coming up um all right what's your address so he gives them uh his address and a different person's name who's at who used to live at that address pops up and he was confused for a second. So uh, he, my, my friend uh, j- just signed his name and then voted and then, you know, f- felt odd, you know, leaving there. I feel like I just voted for someone else. He committed voter fraud, didn't know it because he was never registered to vote. After that, 
I, and I felt sleazy afterwards. I said, gosh, uh, they're already taking so much of my money and taking so much of my time and I voluntarily participate. This is terrible. So, um, yeah, it, ever since that, uh, th- that episode, I've been so disenfranchised to ever <laughs> vote again. And, you know, even if I did, even if I was like, well, Ron DeSantis is better than Gavin Newsom. So I'll just, you know, put one vote, uh, one tally into the Ron DeSantis column. I, I certainly wouldn't spend much time talking about it or trying to, uh, you know, p- persuade people one way or another. So sure. while there's certainly uh, a role to play for explaining why the DeSantis no lockdown policy is far better than the Andrew Cuomo lockdown murder grandmother policy <laughs> and murder children uh, so uh, w- while they're up to uh, nine months old in the womb. Um, while there are certainly benefits to that, I think we got to keep our eye. That, that's certainly where I see uh, my role in the uh, freedom movement, so to speak, is sort of keeping your eye on the prize and explaining the philosophy to people who aren't that familiar with it. So I do a lot of uh, work on uh, the, the basics. Um, so uh, no, I don't uh, participate in voting. And e- even if I did, I especially wouldn't spend time uh, talking about it to the average person, because every yeah. second you're talking about George Bush versus John Kerry and Al Gore versus George Bush, it's one less second you're explaining the principle of self-ownership, voluntary contract, private property, and why Marxism and National Socialism are evil. I think that's that's totally fair. Only reason I ask is because this is not going to be. I'm just reading the tea leaves here, but let's be honest. It looks like Dave's going to run. So <laughs> this is not DeSantis versus Newsom or DeSantis versus Cuomo. I mean, Dave Smith's the real deal. He's a real deal libertarian and cap. Could that could that pull you off the sideline? Well, yeah, because because that would mean uh, that would mean uh, me getting an actual excuse to be part of, you know, I'd be uh, participating in the voting and in that conversation of, you know, saying why people should listen to Dave and get him on the debate stage. Cause of course he can't win, but what he can do is get on the debate stage potentially yes. with a lot of work. Well, see, then that's, you... that's, that's exactly what I want to hear because uh, yeah. even the, the non-voting anarchist types, I think it's really important to realize that like, if you're saying all I care about is philosophy, no one is going to reach more ears then Dave Smith, Dave Smith is a Libertarian Party candidate. So, like, I think it's at least worth a primary vote. Come on, folks. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. In that case, I would uh, participate in the uh, primaries. But, again, the one of the main uh, problems is, is that, um, gosh, Rothbard said it so beautifully, and I think it's the final chapter of Ethics of Liberty. He says, so while we need to be pragmatic – Watch out because sometimes you try to be so pragmatic in the moment that every second opportunity cost you spend talking about delegates and stuff, that's one second you're not focusing on the ideas. So uh, instead of, you know, uh, someone trying to get into the technicalities of can or can he not win, uh, I, I would constantly try and push the conversation back to who was right and who was wrong. And some people will say, well, you know, uh, the, what uh, libertarianism does is it doesn't have the teeth to really win. And what we've got to do is win and get in power, can't be distracted with all these principles and stuff. To which I say, well, then just support Joe Biden. Because exactly. if you're just about cares? winning, he's already won. Right. Then just win. Unless you're saying, well, principles do matter to an extent. 
And then you have to ask again, you know, people will often say the free market is win-win. You engage in voluntary exchanges because both parties benefit. But politics is win-lose. One party benefits, one group or entity benefits at the expense of others. And that is partially correct. But it might be worse because even when people win, it's not like they're ever happy. When Trump was in there, the right was not like, oh, thank God, freedom at last. They were like, well, the, 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 the goddamn media. And when, you know, what now that Biden's in there, the left isn't, you know, jumping and they're so happy no. about things. They're still fabricating uh, the idea that racism is White supremacy a b- everywhere. big deal in 2021. They're still pushing the myth of the wage gap. They're still saying Russia is sending anti-vax conspiracies uh, into our media when they had the house and the senate for two out of obama's eight years they weren't happy then neocons were never happy under bush he he yeah he he was too kind and he was just restraining himself too much won these wars in a matter of days if uh, he wasn't so restraining so so you're not even happy when you win so just act on principle i think that's fair so after after 2020 i really thought that there would be a wave of support for liberty and libertarian ideals. And I was disappointed to see that there wasn't more, but I think it was largely you know, predicated on fear. People were very concerned. They didn't understand what was happening, the virus, blah, 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 blah. After a year, even, even some of the more blue-pilled people, I think have stopped, started to catch on that like because of social media and things like that, they get to see that there's been a huge swath of the country that has gone back to living normally. And while they they can sit on their moral superiority for so long, eventually they have to go to themselves, I'm fucking miserable. And these people look like they're having a better life than me. Uh, Maybe I need to reconsider these policies that I've been supporting kind of without thought. Do you think that there's a chance of of a breaking point where people actually say to themselves, like, this was wrong? that the lockdowns were actually wrong, where we actually get a majority support that, that I don't know if they ever get to the point of, of anger so much so that they actually call for hearings, which is what I would like to see, where, where you have like war crimes trials or you take Fauci to the Hague. But do you think that there's a chance that we get to some semblance of that, where we have some sort of majority opinion that lockdowns are, were not just a bad idea, but will not be uh, an option moving forward? I just pictured Gavin Newsom in an orange jumpsuit taking oh. the stand, defending himself, uh, and then he can't get comfy because he's still cuffed. Oh, God, that, that, that would be... The, the, I'm getting the, erect. Relax. The, the, okay, t- take it. We, we need to take five. Close the cameras off. As far as what will this be a breaking point? Well, there is a benefit to uh, feeling miserable and being extremely pessimistic. So... Uh, by doing so, people actually feel smarter. This is uh, found in the work of Johann Norberg's book, Progress, where people will actually feel feel as though they are uh, more uh, intellectual and more in tune with reality as opposed to dumb, childlike, happy, utopian morons who don't, you know, really, you know, ignorance is bliss. So the more miserable I am about the bad things in the world, the better person I am. And it allows you to actually feel like you're contributing, that you're part of something and part of a solution without actually doing anything. So, oh, God, cases are up. Did you hear? Did, did you hear there was another shooting? Oh, gosh. And that and they have like these one liners where they just issue a negative thing into the ether. It's like, look, 
there have been tons of wars and tons of death. It's like 160,000 people die a day uh, all across the globe. So when you bring up three people were killed or there was, you know, another police killing, you, you know that you're not actually contributing anything intellectual. You, you're not really making a point unless you say X happened from this. We can extract principle Y, which I would like people to embrace on a large scale. Well, then it would make sense, but that's not, that's not even what happens. Well, cases are up again. Well, cases go up and down. You only bring it up when cases are, well, what is going on with this? So people, there is a big incentive for people to just feel bad and, you know, promote the ideas or, uh, constantly push the idea that things are terrible, things are negative, I'm in the know, everyone else is unable to see that I recognize the tragedy of life and, and all this other stuff. So that is one very big difficult hurdle to uh, to, to get people um, to, uh, to, uh, to, to jump over. Second, as far as will people have a breaking point, I think the best thing we could do is ask every voluntarist we know what was it that made them switch? I was on Ernie Hancock's show and he was really pushing me that, you know, I was sort of telling my story and then he'd stop me and say, whoa, whoa go back, explain this to me. When it was just, you know, my personal uh, way of, you know, how I uh, sort of came to the ideas of uh, freedom, self-ownership, non-aggression principle. Um, because then we can maybe find a pattern of what is it that really switches people from the belief that some people own other people a system called slavery or violence or collectivism versus people own themselves and all interactions should be voluntary and based on original appropriation or voluntary exchange. Uh, so just asking people what their breaking point was will increase the likelihood you're able to issue a breaking point to other people. Will they be able to see it? Well, you know, I certainly was unable to for, for, for quite a while. And there's so many irrational aspects to how we make decisions. So um, I know you and Isaac uh, know each other. Isaac Morehouse and I met, God, what year was this? I, I, I got to find out. It was a long time ago. It was at an IHS seminar. And I was a minarchist conservative, you know, who liked some of Ron Paul's ideas. And I was talking to a guy and I'm like, you know, it's incredible that, uh, that they're so few arguments for the legitimacy of government, price gouging, sweatshops. I'm, I'm hearing all these new ideas. And I go, you know, it's like there's only like five or six really th things that, you know, we need the state to provide. And he goes, hmm, what are those? And I said, you know, well, things like security. He goes, well, most security. I mean, as far as alarms, you know, handguns, pepper spray. Um, also, police uh, show up much later than usual. And because they have a monopoly that you can't opt out of funding, they provide a much worse service than you otherwise would uh, be able to get. Um, and they're constantly disarming people, making them less safe. You know, they're not prosecuting crimes under, you know, a certain amount of. So I don't even think a government's good for that. And then everything after he just kept knocking down and this was a smart person dressed very nicely who had a great deal of prestige who was one of the speakers at the events so just seeing that it's okay that, that i don't have to be some uh black flag waving trash can thrower in order to be a voluntarist or an anarchist the evil terrible word um that that sort of was it was telling me hey it's okay there's also another guy jeffrey tucker see that bow tie it's okay He's one of them too. Tom Woods, also okay. And it's like, okay, Lou Rockwell, it's a, well, uh, I can embrace this philosophy without embracing the identity of, I thought all anarchism was just Antifa before I even knew what Antifa was. 
But uh, that was, you know, Joe Sobern, of course, uh, famously said that, you know, it's a real testament to the state's power that people fear the word anarchy, but don't fear fear the word state when governments are responsible for more mass murder uh, than anything else. Exactly. Um, or uh, or take uh, Bob Murphy's excellent uh, introduction to anarchy called chaos theory, where he says even mafias, uh, you, you can't just say well, the mafias we have today would be more powerful under voluntarism because they operate in the black market. So just as Al Capone and his prohibitionist gang were very powerful, it was only because alcohol was outlawed. Where are they today? But why did they stop making millions of dollars? Well, they've gone into prostitution and gambling and drugs and other places because now the black market's there, soon to be menthol Newports. <laughs> so um, get, get, keep an eye out for, uh, for, for that opportunity. So uh, breaking points, I think, can come when people uh, both see that it's okay and they don't have to lose their identity. It's not that they're wrong. It's that they've been tricked, unfortunately, and they can keep their identity. You can keep everything you love about yourself. You just have to embrace this idea that the state can't do anything the average person can't do. And if you don't have the right to do it to them, well, they wouldn't have the right to do it to you and vice versa. And the only consistent philosophy you could find is a self-ownership one. So you can't say, yeah, every, everyone can murder everyone. Well, that means people both own other people and own themselves if they have a right to murder and the right to not get murdered so they can murder other people. The point is, if you push people consistently and tell them it's okay, you show them the kind, successful, virtuous people, maybe they're more likely to have a breaking point. Or all of that could be wrong and just something that applies to me. But I, <laughs> I, I think that's, that's certainly a, a big um, a common denominator that I've heard from all the emails and DMs that I get. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that if, if there has ever been a better opportunity to do that, to have kind of a scapegoat where you can say this guy lied to you and <laughs> you get to, you get to maintain your MAGA ideology or whatever the fuck you're all about, but you need to now come out strongly against state power at the, at the, to the extent that they are allowed to lock you in your house, you know, like as a bare minimum. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I realize I'm being a bit of a, a, a pragmatist and a moderate here, but like, I'm just talking about reaching people who are statist. And saying, "Hey, yeah. this is this is the inevitable conclusion of giving a state this amount of power. That eventually it'll be used to ruin your fucking life. So you've now experienced it. Would you like to reform the system or perhaps abolish it to prevent this from happening in the future? And that that's what I've I've been doing. And I've had a ton of success with conservative relatives of mine that would have never ever considered even minarchism, much less you know anarchism." And they're like, okay, yeah. I mean, what, like, as bad as I theorize that anarchy might be, like, this is fucking awful. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reconsider. Uh, anyways, Keith, we, we, uh, we've done about, about 50 minutes now. So I'm going to get out of here. Uh, please follow Keith. Don't tread on me on Odyssey, YouTube, and Spotify. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the people about? Uh, nothing else. Uh, the show is uh, "Don't Tread on Anyone." Oh, you can I'm find sorry. it at the. Li th that's fine. Yeah. It, it, it's it just rolls off the tongue. It, it does. It happens frequently. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find me at any of those places as well as the Libertarian Institute. Just by habit, man. My bad. Don't tread on anyone. Okay, there we go. Uh, thank you so much, Keith. It was a blast. Skirt. 
We ain't done yet, but pump those brakes and get them going again. Because up next, we're talking to my future wife, whether she knows it or not, Miss Liberty Anders. Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. We have on, once again, the legend, the brilliant, the angelic, the philosopher, the uncancelable, the superstar, (laughs) Twitter juggernaut, Maggie, mother fucking Anders. <laughs> Lord have mercy. You really set me up for failure there. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like it loosens you up. It makes you feel like it's just we're, we're having fun now. So yeah. Uh, for anyways, sure. how, how have you been? I've been good. Uh, this is my third time on, I think. Yes, it is. Am I? Am you hold I, the title. Ha, do I have the title now? No one's been on three times except me. Oh my God. <laughs> That's really exciting. Yeah, I've been doing good. Just working in state level politics, which has been super interesting. So, well, give me a little bit about that. Is that is it as exhausting and exacerbating as I would imagine? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, exacerbating is not the word I meant to use there. Anyways, <laughs> continue. It's it's pretty rough. Um, so Louisiana is in session right now. We actually have the the shortest session out of all of the states, I believe that we have the shortest session. It's about two months long. Um, But in those two months, so many atrocious bills come through the woodwork and so many amazing bills come through the woodwork, which is um, where that's the stuff I work on. Um, But those amazing bills, it's just, it's so hard to see them fail uh, for Mm. stupid reasons. Like there's a lot of clownery going on in the legislature this year. I feel like that's probably not anything new. Is it? Is it new from your understanding? No. So um, I would say Louisiana, like one, a lot of people don't pay attention to Louisiana politics, which I understand. Um, we're kind of one of those forgotten states like Mississippi or Wyoming or whatever. So a lot of people, when they're um, talking about how horrible states operate, they're going to look at California, New York, Illinois, all of the super, super deep blue states. But I think a really good case for libertarianism is to deep dive into Louisiana politics Mm. because we are a red state, a former blue dog Democrat state. um, And we're ranked at the bottom of every list. And, you know, we suffer from a lot of the same population loss that California is going through right now, um, which is partially why I came back because you know, I'm a rare case of kids that come back home. Um, I would imagine people my age either take really low paying jobs or they leave the state. Hmm. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of concern around that. And we were also one of the states that locked down really hard, even though we're a red state. Jesus. Well, it sounds like a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like my home state. So I feel your pain. I, yeah. do you ever get to the point of just going like, man, if you guys would just fucking listen to us, we could fix all this. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like that almost every day I wake up and I get online and I look at the the latest bullshit from Biden or whoever else. And I'm just like, man, I like I literally have the answers to all these issues. It's just liberty. I mean, the liberty is the answer all the time. Liberty Anders is the answer every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, especially on the issues of tax reform and the economy in Louisiana. Man, we are just... It's like we're actively trying to push people away from our state. 
Do you know what I mean? Yes, um, I do know firsthand. California is the exact same way. Right. And, and what ends up happening is we keep losing population because people can't afford to live here and they can't afford to run their businesses here because right. our tax code is so complicated. Um, and then we increase the tax burden on the people that are already here. So we're just seeing a constant population decrease. Um, we're ranked really at the bottom in education. I was, um, so I do a lot of, like, I work on the fundraising side now, which has been really interesting, hmm. but I was doing some research into education because right now we're fighting for an education transparency bill because school boards don't have to report where they're spending our money. Right. Hmm. Um, but we're trying to fix that situation um, because that will give us some more transparency and accountability. But listen to, listen to this, Louisiana taxpayers on average spend about $13,700 per student in public education. It's pretty steep. Right? It's pretty steep. Um, our private, like the average private school tuition is like around $7,000 here. Um, and we are ranked at the bottom of lists. Texas spends about 10.5 thousand per student and they're doing great. Florida is like under 10,000 per student. Uh, so we're spending a lot of money, right? But our educational outcomes are just really, really poor. Uh, I think it's only 2% of eighth graders in Louisiana can read in an, an advanced level. Um, only one in five can read at level, which is pretty bad. So not only are we suffering from a really bad economy, but our education system has just totally not been set up for children to succeed at all. And we're paying a lot of money. So it is right. a good example to show people why, you know, just throwing money at a, at a problem is not going to do anything, especially within public education. Yeah, no, it rarely does. And I always, I always wondered to myself, like, how any of these states that are blue that aren't coastal elite big cities that have you know unbelievable human capital because like the only reason that california and new york are sustained at all is because they have some of the smartest people on on the planet that move there because of the weather because of the economy because of the business opportunities and things like that um, but even in california even with the best climate on earth you know the most beautiful people on the planet and it's just like nope uh, people are still leaving because they have just taxed us and regulated us to death. For the life of me, I can't figure out how a state, no disrespect to Louisiana, which I absolutely love Louisiana, for the record, I really do. Uh, but like, I can't imagine that they have the, the same caliber of human capital. I mean, not, not even in a disrespect. There is nowhere else that's really comparable to the human capital in California. So no. I don't know how, what's their, what's their end game? It's like, you guys are just destined for bankruptcy. Are you not? I mean, we are. And um, before this year, Louisiana was in this cycle of just hitting fiscal cliff after fiscal cliff. Um, I remember the year that I ended up leaving Louisiana for Yale, um, we held several special sessions to try to figure out the budget. And this is going to make you really mad. Um, I think only 13% of the budget is in non-dedicated funds, which means we only get to vote on 13% of the budget each year. Oh my year. God. The rest of it is in the state constitution, right? Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, 
Our state constitution spends more words telling legislators how to spend our money than the entire United States constitution. Huh? Yeah. What like, the hell happened? <laughs> um, were, were you just decades. like ran by psycho, psycho, psychopathic, psychopathic tyrants for Actually, decades yeah. or what? Have you heard okay. of Huey P. Long? I, I've heard of him just because of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my like midnight Twitter rants, like yeah. I hate Huey P. Long. Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I have a deep, a deep hatred of Huey. Um, he was this very charismatic man. Um, I believe he was governor of Louisiana, either in the 1920s or during depression era Louisiana. And if you want an accurate view of Huey, he was left of FDR and criticized FDR, his new deal for not being left-wing enough. Yeesh. So like a lot of people in Louisiana praise him for really getting our infrastructure together and providing all of this public education. But Huey was a tyrant, like yeah. straight up. He basically set up a puppet government while he was in, um, I think he was either in the co in Congress or the Senate. Mm -hmm. um, but he was killed in our state capitol. No kidding. Is, yeah, yeah. Assassination? Yes. So wow. I think that also kind of contributed to the um, mythos mm. of Huey. Of and, course. Um, just it's been it's been a long time since he's been alive and in power in Louisiana, but I don't think we've let go of his legacy. And if you want an accurate picture of Louisiana politics, just look at our governor. Um, John Bell is a Democrat, right? But he's not your typical Democrat. Um, the people of Louisiana reelected him because he's socially conservative. So mm. our state likes to vote for fiscally left-wing policies and socially conservative policies. So basically the opposite of what I am. I was going to say, <laughs> and you moved back. <laughs> I did move back because you uh, have a savior complex, my dear. I do. I yeah. really do with everything <laughs> in my life. But um, yeah, I mean, the thing about my state is it is totally worth saving. I went to a family family reunion a couple weekends ago, and there's just something about home, you know. I think, I get it. Yeah, you you probably do. I mean, you're still in California, and I'm sure you enjoy parts of it. Oh yeah, of course. Like. I drive down the street um, next to where my dad's house is almost every day. And it's just close business closure signs all the way down each side of the street. And I don't know what it's going to take. That's what I was just going to ask. Politicians on board. Like yeah. they're saying that they want tax reform this year, but um, like they're killing all the good legislation and um I say they, like, there's, like, th we have a lot of good legislators. I will tell you that. I've met a lot of them through my work now, and I'm actually really confident in a lot of them. But, um, you know, they're not perfect. And there are a lot of forces at work in Louisiana that don't want things to change. And they don't want to be aggressive, you know? Well, uh, what I always think when I, when I hear about states in this kind of predicament is like, why don't they just give a five-year tax-free to any business that relocates and 
and then you know bide the, bide your time allow allow the the brains to flood into that area because all the, the business opportunities that come about and then as people are all planted there after the five years waiver goes away then you can start to get some of your tax revenue to deal with that deficit or you know it's just like there's such obvious simple answers to try and lift the economy so that the whole fucking state doesn't sink uh, speaking of sinking louisiana we are sinking <laughs> yeah i was gonna say capable of that um i just think it, it's so frustrating so i i just want to commend you for for having the the will i think i think if i was a little younger i probably would be staying and fighting in california to try and save it how miss yeah. miss jenner is atten- <laughs> attempting to uh, i like commercial i mean she did a lot of good things phenomenal phenomenal (laughs) ad i i believe me i'm not hating on that ad that is an amazing ad Um, however i don't trust anyone on either side of the aisle to actually you know fix california it's just so deeply ingrained the tax rate is so absurd i i love that she said she would uh she would veto any tax hike and i'm like look please yeah of (laughs) course that's that's a that's a bare minimum, but yeah. I don't need vetoes of tax hikes. I need removal of existing yeah. tax law. They do you know what the tax system is here? I'm afraid to ask, but please please enlighten me. Okay, so if you make at the highest tax bracket, which is significant, but it's like three or four hundred thousand annually, mm-hmm. you end up paying approximately I think it's thirteen point nine percent to the state of California, on top of. 37 whatever percent federally you pay over 50 percent of your income tax and gavin newsom has floated and i think that it's at least going to be voted on as to whether or not they should implement a half percent annualized wealth tax so your entire net worth they want a half a percent of it for every year that you live in california can you imagine that makes me want to cry (laughs) this is why i'm leaving and and I love California. I am born and raised here. I want nothing more than to stay and fix this state and keep this economy going and look after my friends and family that are all here. But yeah. it's just it's just untenable. If you're going to threaten me with the most unconstitutional tax I have ever heard of in my life, a wealth tax, Jesus Christ, you already taxed me savagely my entire life. And now you want to take a half percent of what I've actually saved. And then when I die, you want a death tax on top of it? I mean- you got to be kidding me. It's That's brutal. obscene. Yeah, it is. It is totally obscene. obscene. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I just, I don't know. Like I was getting into it with socialists on Twitter today, as you do, you know, yes. I just don't understand how people could think that any of this makes sense. How people, like, especially politicians. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't, some of them are so intelligent too. Like I know we like to crap on politicians all the time, but some of them are just so smart. Like Mm -hmm. we have some really brainy people in Louisiana and I'm just sitting here like, how could you, like, how could you not just beat your chest and like scream into the house chamber that things need to change? Oh my God. I'm sorry. My cat is making noise. So okay. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's what we need. That's what we need is politicians that'll do that. Speaking of politicians that will bang their chest and scream into the, uh, the house. What do you think about Dave Smith's run? If he, if he goes for it. Oh, I'll support him hundred percent. Nice. I'm, okay. Last time I came on here, I was like, 
the old men on Twitter need to stop fighting. Okay, I'm over it. All right, I'm- <laughs> Wait, I'm allowed to fight again? Yes, go for it. Because like, <laughs> I've oh been so good. God, it's I've... so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> I have been so good. And I want everybody You've to know really good. <laughs> that's been following me on Twitter. The reason I stopped attacking Archie and all these clowns, Richie and all these, the LB, the loser brigade as we call them, is because Maggie was so kind as to say, Clint, stop. And I was like, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't do this. I should try and be. And, and I really, I, I offered olive branches. I offered to have them on my show. I got nothing. And, but I think, I think you're still right that I don't need to waste my time on them, but no, I, you know, you don't, but I did waste my time yesterday because Josh Smith put out Ooh. that GoFundMe for his kids. And listen, like there's a lot of kids in my life right now um, that I care about a lot. And did you adopt? Uh, What's going on? No, no. Um, my okay. best friend, I'm now living with my best friend. She has a kid, um, you know, who I've been able to see grow up and nice. I have two little sisters and, um, one of the people I'm closest to, uh, actually is fostering right now. Okay. Uh, and so because of that, like, I, I get it. Like I, you know, Either way, like he posted about what was going on and I was just like, one, of course I will donate to your GoFundMe even though I don't have a lot of money. Uh, that was but very kind of you. Two, um, like that dude, I'm not gonna mention his name, who is constantly just up his butthole on Twitter was like, you're a narcissist. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm over it. Like I'm over it. Y'all are crazy. Like legitimately mentally ill. If this is all <laughs> that you do with your time, like what is wrong with you? you it's know? weird. It's really weird. It's, it's obsessive. Weird. It's it it's obsessive. It's stalkerish. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's borderline harassment. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not even sure it's borderline. I think it might be technically harassment. Like what he is saying about him and the way he gets dragged through the mud, it's devastating, man. And I I like Josh and I feel really bad for him. And I've, you know. Obviously, I've gone to bat for him a few times and not just for the attacks on him and his family, but also just for the, the generalized attacks on anyone that's involved with the Mises caucus. It's just it's just pathetic. I mean, these these people are just pathetic. But on the bright side, they're on their way out. And I think that what people are going to find is that the big bully Mises caucus, which I am kind of a part of, we're not actually bullies. We just really care. Like we really, really care. And and I think that we're going to we're going to show that with our action and then people will start to realize, OK, these guys aren't just coming in to shove nerds in lockers. They're actually here to try and save this fucking party and save this fucking country. And that's that's our that's our that's my savior complex right there. I, yeah. I can't give up on the on the party that represents my name of libertarian. Yeah. I can't I can't do it no matter how stupid and fruitless it seems. I can't do it <laughs> quite yet. Yeah, that's very honorable. And like, I don't know, I, I'm, I will never be part of a caucus in the LP because I, I do have, I've, I have paid dues to the LP, but, um, you know, obviously I'm pursuing liberty within the GOP, but um, I do find it honorable to fight for something that you believe in. Um, and I think part of my hesitancy with the Mises caucus came a lot from like, kind of my past experiences with Yao. Like I tend mm. not to discount when people are attacking people, but I do think 
that a lot of it is motivated by um it's a, a lot of it is politically motivated you know what i mean and i oh, yeah. think you know, I think that's really gross to try to slander people's character um, because of political motivations. It's, you know what I mean? It's so gross. I, and yeah. we're talking about a party with a couple percent in federal yeah. elections. And you guys are slinging mud and, you know, saying the worst possible things imaginable about people you don't even know that well. It's just, it's so pathetic. I it stupid. You know what I mean? Like, I was, yes. I've just been like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever witnessed and it's constant you know what I mean no Um, no but I'm but I'm saying I'm saying the personal attacks to the point of like trying to I mean ruin someone's life which is what they're doing with Josh it's just so beyond the pale like no matter how much I care about the LP if it came down to it I'm not gonna go and try and ruin Nick Sarwak's life this is not we don't we don't take it past just like online conversations and things like that it's I mean, these people are seriously deranged. And and for that reason alone, I would really like to prevail against them, if I'm being honest. But I wanted to ask you, what do you think would be a good tactic? Because we've talked about this a lot. And I've, I've credited you multiple times with softening my message because I am not soft. Uh, That's okay. I, <laughs> I, think that, I think that at some point, it's going to be important that we engage. And you may not even want to give me this advice because I know you're more interested in... in uh, you know, pushing liberty through the RNC, but what would, what would be your advice to the Mises caucus if they were to come to Miss Maggie Anders and say, how do we attract women to be interested in this aggressive libertarian ideology moving forward? For sure. So I think I've like, I haven't fully changed my approach to messaging, but I think one thing that often gets um, missed is you can be aggressive, you know, you can be aggressive, but I think one thing that libertarians don't do very well, um, and I know the Mises caucus is trying to do this, but finding the issues that really, really matter to the everyday person, Mm -hmm. like, um, and like a lot of that comes down to money. And I know, I know that money is like the, like money politics, economics isn't as sexy to people um but it is to the average person you know what i mean so i think one thing that if y'all do take power which it looks like y'all are doing um this may not be directly towards women but i think just really striking home with the loss of jobs, the loss of opportunity, the inability to hire people right now, um, the fact that the government is stealing all of your money and still stealing our children's 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 money mm-hmm. um, and how that's impacting us right now, I think is really gonna hit home for average people because a lot of the work I do now, I work at a think tank now, um, which, might sound lame, but we do more than just write white papers. <laughs> but a lot of what we're focused on is changing political culture, um, which is hard to do. Like it's easy to get people elected into office if you're like one of the two major parties, but really changing the political culture is what I think the LP is trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Um, and I think, you know, my advice that I was giving last time where you have to start with where someone's already at Mm -hmm. is going to be critical to attracting new people into the LP. Um, And that starts with their, their wallets, you know? Um, 
Well, I, I had a I had a tweet that went pretty viral like two weeks ago that mm-hmm. basically, and it was certainly not soft. I said, um, the fact that they didn't completely waive income taxes over the past year during a pandemic, well, they put you out of work and da 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 da, should be the most infuriating, insulting thing you've ever experienced in your life. And it got like three thousand likes and a That's you know, right. yeah. And but I, I think that's a good message though, because it really strikes home that it is not only did they fuck you out of your job, but then they locked you in your house. They forced you to wear a mask. They made you depressed. They killed your kid with alcoholism or drug abuse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, now your other kid's uh, depressed. And, and what did they do at the end of the year? Right. They put their hand out and they say, give me money. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just such a slap in the it's face. It's abusive, on it. right? Yes. It's literally abusive. Um, so but yeah. You I think mean, that appeals to women though? I think so. Okay. I think so. Um, I mean, it's hard when it comes to women to like figure out what issues they care about because like, I don't know the way the democratic party does this is through this whole like girl boss message, which I'm kind of over and <laughs> like that, that video that the CIA, the propaganda that the CIA just put out where I'm a cisgender, cisgendered female, Who's the daughter of immigrants? Like <laughs> with generalized anxiety disorder. <laughs> generalized anxiety disorder. I was like, girl, me too, but at least I'm not pressing the button that's killing kids, you know? Uh, there's, a, there's a reason for your anxiety, you bitch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I don't know. I think I think that there's a lot of women out there. Like the issue of feminism is really touchy right now. And I've been really trying to deep dive and explore about like what that word means to me recently. Um, because y'all just elected a female president, right? And I, this is going to sound so lame. I legitimately cried. Like it was a That's huge great. moment for me That's because great. I went through all of this stuff. I literally left the company um, because I wanted it to become a better place for women. And it wasn't like this whole girl boss thing. It was more like, you know, um, I, you know, women in Yao at the time, um, it wasn't everyone, but would experience things that the men there didn't have to deal with, you know, of course. but I think it's really hard to figure out what the messaging for libertarian feminism is, Um, And how to use that message to attract more women into the party. But I really think the spirit of individualism right now is something that can strike the heart of many, many people. Yes. Because I think, um, I think like the conservative trad wife approach isn't alienating to a lot of women. I think the do whatever you want, girl boss, like, um, you know, sleep with every man on the planet and also alienating to women, especially to women like me. Um, You know, the like, don't be a housewife, like work your ass off, you know. Um, You can freeze your eggs. Yeah, freeze your (laughs) eggs. Like don't have kids yet. Um, Actually don't have kids at all because that's environmental terrorism. Oh yeah. Um, If the the LP runs on that, I will be out of here. Which like, here's the thing. I think it's messed up to push women the way that feminism has to just work as hard as like men do because it it leads to a lot of women missing out on all of this time with their kids. And I think something that a lot of women 
um, in the pandemic realized is that they don't want to do this whole girl boss thing and work 60 hours a week and kill themselves slaving away at a job that they hate. Um, they want to be at home with their kids. So they're taking part-time jobs. They're, um, you know, finding little side gigs and, you know, running their own businesses from home. And I think the, the power of the individual, which has always been really core to libertarian messaging is actually something that can be really appealing to women, you know? Um, Of course. Uh, You guys aren't, you guys aren't that, that much different from us. I I think that would. I mean, we kind of, I I think when it comes to like the average woman, we are different in kind of our sensibilities than men are, but not dramatically so. Like well, we that's still what I mean. care about the core central things. That's that, what I mean. I, I'm saying yeah. you're not you're not so different that like individualism is is completely unappealing. Like it yeah. it's appealing. Freedom is appealing. Liberty is appealing, especially for you know people that are born and raised in America. These are this is an ethos that was kind of built into us. No, whether you liked it or not, we all of us had the stories that were told to us about the founding of the country and and it's it's it has an appeal and i think that it's just important that we find a way to deliver it to different demographics in ways that it strikes them in that particular little 5% difference that's necessary right um, but you know up until dave said he was interested in running i didn't care about the nuance because i was just interested in shifting the LP. I wasn't yeah. like, I wasn't like, oh, we're going to win. You know, that that's the last thing in my mind. I was just like, we need to message in a way that wakes people up and gets them interested and involved. And somehow that's happening. So um, that's the first step. And then after that, we'll start to focus on, you know, focus yeah. groups and stuff. For sure. And I think like, I don't know, I don't think the LP could, should completely abandon the social messaging. I think it just needs to um, be workshopped a little. (laughs) Can I say that? I mean, um, I got absolutely slammed the other day because I was tweeting about the Republican Party. um, And I was saying that the Republican Party Um, if they want to reach more black voters or more female voters, they need to abandon this narrative that racism and sexism just don't exist anymore. Mm. Um, And this infant, like they, they have this message of like, you know, you're, you're not a victim, you're a victor, but like almost in a condescending way that like denies that people have ever been through anything. And I wasn't saying that everyone's been through stuff or that, like, you know, um, that like America is racist or like this is the um Maggie you you attempted to make you attempted to make a nuanced argument on Twitter. Yes, on Twitter and that never works. That's that's illegal. Yeah. But what I mean, (laughs) I think that can translate over to the LP as well. It's like, you know, when it comes to the culture war, you don't have to be all one way or the other. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. And And, I and what's funny about it is that the Libertarian Party is that natural middle ground. Yes. So, but if the libertarian, if the libertarian party can really message to that common sense yes. voter when it comes to social issues, I think it would be vastly more successful because I think people like me, because I'm feeling very politically homeless right now, and I don't want to run to the LP because I can't do anything there. But I'm, I'm getting. Wait, why can't you do anything there? Oh, you mean in terms of winning? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> But I think people like me who feel politically homeless are feeling that way, not just because of economic issues, but also 
you know, I like, I don't, um, like, I don't want to be a radical social conservative. I just Mm -hmm. don't, it's not who I am. I could care less about a lot of these issues, you know? Um, but I'm also not like a pink haired Marxist freak who wants to like scream at people on Twitter and dox them and call their employer, you know? So I feel like there's a lot of people looking for the middle ground. And I think that (laughs) is like a natural. It is. It's the natural middle ground. We, we support gay rights. We want the state out of marriage. Basically we want, obviously we're opposed to, I'm not even gonna list them all. You get it. We are the middle ground We're you, you know, the, the philosophy we're not, we're not, um, we're not radical one way or the other on the social Mm -hmm. stuff. It's basically like live and let live, but look after one another, have society, you know, come together folks. Uh, and I think that's actually a message that would really work because if a lot of people stupidly voted for Joe Biden on his pledge to be the great unifier, even though his his actual policy making was more along the lines of i don't know stalin and creating all sorts of like oppressive shit that went after his political foes um so i think that that obviously since people were so they were so mentally abused from four years of propaganda under trump that they were just like we need peace please Mm -hmm. give us peace and i feel like if the if the lp can offer them freedom and peace of mind like where they can actually like get out of their heads that would be powerful. So, oh my God, peace of mind is so under- underrated right now. Like, Especially after the past year, Lord. I just like, and I was talking to you about this earlier. Like, I've been ruminating so much on the concept of like forgiveness, pathways forward to redemption. Um, you know, because I, I myself, like, I'm, I'm a 22 year old. I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, and. I really recently have really been trying to watch what I say on social media. Um, mm, and it's sorry to hear that. a lot of discomfort for me. Like yeah. I just, I'm very uncomfortable um, tweeting anymore. Like I went from like 15 times a day, just like typing stuff out. to like, now it's like three times a day once, maybe not at all. Yeah. Um, Cause I just feel like I have to keep a lot of this kind of stuff in my head. Um, and that's I'm scary because you're not. You know? Yeah, yeah, and that's really scary because you're not like a nutcase radical like me. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you're radical in your own way, but you're not yeah. like aggressively radical like I am. So that's that's really a bad sign that, and and it doesn't surprise me. And I think I think you're actually making a prudent decision, like the rational, precautionary measure of being like, I don't know what I'm going to be applying for. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the new new rules and laws and regulations are going to roll out. Like I feel for you, man, that sucks. But it's just, it's so hard. And like, Oh man, I think, so I remember being a teenager. Um, it was like two I, years ago, Maggie, relax. Of course. I, you know. remember. I remember being a teenager though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was not two years ago. Okay. It's three. I was basically the same person as I am too now two years ago but like when I was a real teenager okay okay. and I was like you know deep diving on social justice boards and like just getting radicalized to the left wing like I remember what it felt like and I remember being really uncomfortable in my body and like going through my little identity crisis that everyone goes through um and like turning to that kind of like 
moral righteousness mm-hmm. feels so good in the moment. Cause like, at least your identity can cling on to something that you find mm-hmm. as being moral. And it's like, I really do think a lot of these issues of like cancel culture come down to teenagers. And I know that sounds very boomerish of me at the ripe old age of 22, but I really, <laughs> I really think teenagers are who we should be paying attention to um, when it comes to how we're talking to them and how we're like disseminating political information to them. Cause like we, we both know that in public school, they're getting radicalized to be left wing. Yep. Um, and that's not just like a conservative conspiracy theory. Like this is the reality because most of the people going into education are left wing. Um, yes. and they inevitably are going to insert some of that stuff into their teachings. And I was talking to my aunt and she said she was reading at a library because she's she does speech therapy or whatever. And there was this book and it was just like a normal book. And then like, boom, in the middle of the book, there's like, critical race theory nonsense like wow the white man is the enemy kind of stuff like we have to reach out a hand to these kids because like already you're just already being flooded with hormones it's such a confusing time and then you know in school you're being taught that the world is a really really awful place and everyone's really really awful and you're like batman coming in to save the city and you know uh there's or, this or if, or if you're a white kid that you're being taught that you're the joker so right right like you there's this huge battle between good and evil and like you have to be a warrior on the side of good against all of this evil and the evil sometimes you can't even see sometimes it's hidden be- behind pepe memes and like all this crazy nonsense <laughs> and sometimes it's your grandfather right yeah <laughs> Like you're just being fed that like there's all of this chaos and horrible stuff in the world and online, like you're, you're getting a constant feed of all of the horrible crap that's happening and you're watching black men die at the hands of police officers. And over here, like, um, you know, there's this war going on over here and like everything is just constant negative feedback, um, which can you imagine like no. being that young and having to care about everyone else's problems while you yourself are struggling? Um, and I think now there's this like wave of like your identity because it's so moldable. You're now starting to see, um, at least when I was coming up, this was starting to happen. Like you don't feel like a girly girl. Well, hmm maybe mm-hmm. you're not mm-hmm. and I don't mean to say that everyone that identifies as um like transgender or whatever is not that but uh, I think there's a lot of like politics injected into your identity crisis and it's just leading kids to become like shells that are just like walking talking um warriors for social justice and it's so scary you know it is and and it doesn't lead anywhere good i think that's the point that i always try and drive home is like whether or not we can we can win this battle and we can out duel 
the unbelievable indoctrination centers that they have to function within? I don't know, but it is really important that we try because if the next generation is raised in this ideology, which they already have been, I just want people to understand that we already blew it. The past like six years of kids have been completely indoctrinated for the most part. We have to shift that back and we have to pray that those kids grow out of this, this unbelievable, in my opinion, racist thesis that, that all white people are the problem and all minorities are oppressed. It's just not that simple. You need more nuance. And, and I think that it would be a really good message, particularly for the, the kids that are critical thinkers that get taught this stuff and they go, well, I'm, but I'm friends with this white guy over here. And he doesn't treat me poorly. And the white kid goes, I'm friends with this black kid over here. He doesn't treat me poorly. Why, why are we being portrayed as mortal enemies? And if you have some political leader that's out there saying, guys, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And you felt it in your heart. You knew that there was something off. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you about this guy called Martin Luther King. You know, and like hit them with some OG civil rights movement to bring them back from the brink, to to put love back in this movement, because what we really lack is love in the critical, critical race theory shit. Oh, my God. Yeah. I like across the plate. We need to inject love back into our lives. I mean, because we're taught to hate each other so viciously, like. We're taught that it's normal to get people fired from their jobs and like take away their livelihood and, you know, be skeptical of, of people who aren't like us, you know, and, um, it's tragic. I don't know. And also like, I just, I really feel like, um, when you're so, so focused on like making sure that everyone else is not doing bad things when you end up messing up because we're human beings. Like I, I personally have a really guilty, like guilt ridden conscious. Like Mm. if I, if I mess up, it's, it's bad. Like I won't, I will not stop thinking about it. Yeah. Um, And so I look, I think a lot of that came from when I was a teenager um, and just how vicious people were and how vicious I was. Um, did you so, already, did you already have some of the critical race theory stuff when you were in high school? Um, it was starting up online. Okay, you know what I mean. Um, I think a, I think a lot more of this is happening online than it is the classroom, in my opinion. So but far, classrooms are like right now. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I think you're right, but it's it's it yeah. is being put into curriculums. Like we yeah. know this for a fact. So if we don't stem the tide, and you know, it's funny because I am not interested in like actually getting involved with having the state educate our kids on anything. I like, I'm opposed to all of this, Mm -hmm. but if we're going to have a system that indoctrinates our kids, I will be God damned if they indoctrinate my kids with shit. That's like white people are the devil and everyone else is oppressed. Like that is so toxic. There is just no, there is no future for this country. If this is what the young people are taught, I'm just telling you right now, it's going to end up in, in gulags and disaster. It's, it's pretty chaotic. And um, I just like, the, one of the reasons I got back into church is because um, I really, really loved the concept of forgiveness and a clean slate and a pathway to salvation. Girl, uh, what, what are you carrying on your shoulders? What's going on? 
nothing. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not like that. Like I, I just, um, no, a lot of it had to do with the entirety of last year. And I was holding a lot. It was like, I knew that in order to get through last year, I was going to have to forgive people for the Mm. way they were treating me in the moment over and over again which is so hard. Like (laughs) it's such a hard thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. And it'll make you happier if you're able to achieve forgiveness. Um, Cause forgiveness is not just for yourself. It's like, it's supposed to be directed at other people too. Mm -hmm. But um, like, I, I really want to believe that humans are good and I do, but I do believe that we're inherently going to make mistakes and we're going to, choose the wrong thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that should not mean that your life is over. You know what I mean? Like it, it really shouldn't. And ever since I was a kid, if I, if I messed up anything, it was like, my life is over. Like I, I can't, <laughs> you I know, just, I just had an idea. And I think this would actually be really powerful because I think that most of us are sick of cancel culture. Yeah. Why not have a political leader that gets out there and says, you know what? America fucked up over the past 30 years or 100 years or whatever, and we need a do over. And you know who else needs a do over? We all do. We, yeah. all need, we all need a little forgiveness. This past year has been an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. We are going to fix this. And if, you, if you've made some, some errors in your past, we're going to all seek yeah. inside of each other to find forgiveness for not just others, but for ourselves, because we can't, we cannot live like this. We can't. Everyone's so afraid of everybody. And everyone's like, instead of, because they're so afraid of being attacked, they go on the attack because they're like, exactly. it's all projection, you know, like, oh man, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't even have to be carrying anything like super heavy in order to be impacted by this, insane level of like correction that's going on now. And I'm not saying that people don't get held accountable for the things they do. Like I myself have held people accountable for things they've done, you know, but at, and at the end of the day, any horrible thing that's happened to me from somebody else, I want them to know that like, I forgive them no matter what it is, I forgive them. And I want them to be able to recognize what happened and become a better person from it. Like point blank period. You're going to make me cry, Maggie. That was so beautiful. (laughs) I'm serious. That's, that's a really great sentiment. And I can tell you mean it. And I think that if, if it was church that brought you that spirit that allowed you to feel that way, it's beautiful. Genuinely. And I think everyone needs that. Like I had someone reach out to me weeks and weeks ago. Um, who is just like obviously carrying something big and like, you know, he was like, do you mean it that you like forgive this or whatever? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, holy shit. Like I feel like that feels amazing. Um, You know, that like that can, that like you can just move on and become a better person. And that's what I mean. Like, it doesn't mean that we're going to deny that bad things happen to people because bad things do happen to people and they have to live with those scars. But like I I said this yesterday, we're, um, we're chasing perfection right now, but what that's doing is killing out any hope for goodness in the future. Mm -hmm. 
we're labeling people as monsters um, and not giving them a pathway to becoming a good person in the future. To redemption. Horrific to do to people Um, and the people in their life. Because once you get labeled a monster, like, what's the point? Like, what's the point of becoming a good human? Like, you're already, you're now all characterized as the bad one, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't see a path forward to, like, a good, healed society the way we're treating and talking to others. It's just not, it's not possible. And I think a lot of these kids that are really lashing out at people are probably dealing with some stuff internally that they that they have to work through. I know they are. They're teenagers. <laughs> Come on. They, they have, they have nothing but internal stuff going on right now. It's yeah, just, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think, I think you're, you're spot on. And I, I hate that I keep pivoting back to, to politics. Cause I, it, this is not really about politics. This is more of a cultural shift, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying oftentimes people need a leader to tell them that like yes. what we're doing is wrong and we don't have to be this way. And unfortunately, there is no one in the media that really does that. There is no, there's no Oprah going on every weekday afternoon to tell house moms that it's okay to forgive yourself for your racist indiscretions over over the past 30 years and shit like that. You know, like we need, we need someone to, to actually like propagate this idea that we have become a very uh, dogmatically religious cult, but lacking in the capacity for redemption. And, yes. Yes. and you, you have to have redemption. If you have like a really hardcore set of, uh, of, you know, mores or whatever principles that you have to live by and you, you run afoul of them. It's like, all we're offering is eternal damnation. Like, where is the, where's the penance? Where's the repenting? Like, give us an out here. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> um, I, I mean, so when it comes to Dave Smith, like, if he's running, mm-hmm. um, I think the right way to approach cultural issues is through that lens. You know, okay. not that like, not that like my opinion matters to him. Well, it's, but, uh, it's going to be passed on to him, so you yeah. better prepare. Um, but I do think this this system of like recognizing, okay, this person has been hurt, or this group has been hurt, or this has happened. And in order to move forward, we have to learn like what makes, what, how we can become better and we have to forgive ourselves. Like, you know, um, I think that could be a really powerful message. Um, and you know what? I know that there's a lot of people across the United States that are not ready to forgive people for the hurt they've caused them. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think, um, like we all have to kind of take stock of the things we're holding on to um, and let them go. And you you know know what? I think that the libertarians are going to have to do some forgiving too, because we, we have been wronged as egregiously as any political party in this country, because (laughs) we get nothing we want ever. Uh, So we're going to have to, you know, message in a way that says we are the party of making amends. Like there is, there is, bunch of racist stuff in our history there's a bunch of socialist stuff that's destroying us there's all these things that are are really really toxic but we're not going to be we're not going to stand up here and you know rule over you in a way that is to punish 
to fix yes. it in a punishing way. We are about healing it. And Rehabilitation. Yes. Um, yes. It's kind of like the way our prison system is failing. Because we don't focus on rehabilitation. No. Exactly. No, no, it's all punitive, not rehabilitative. Um, and that's why we have such a high reincarceration rate. Yep. What is it? Recidivism? You nailed yeah. it. Yes. I mean, it's the same thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like and, these and, and coincidentally, are- coincidentally, we've lived in a prison for the past year. So yes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm still pissed off about lockdowns. Me too. Oh, you just reminded me. Oh. Me too. I'm so mad. I'm still so mad. <laughs> So I, I, before I get you out of here, I wanted to ask you about what, what has the state, cause I mean, things have gotten really bad over the past year. What yeah. has, what has the state of the American government and the world, since there's lockdowns that have happened globally, there's so much tyranny everywhere. Colombia right now, there's people that are being killed by the cops uh, over protests for these crazy tax hikes. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty dystopic. Um, I'm curious, what has it done to your faith in reproducing and having a family in this environment? Are, has, it, has it scared you? You know, my baby fever has gotten really bad recently. Okay, so no, um, it hasn't. <laughs> all, of, all of my friends know this because I won't stop talking to them about it, about how much I want to have kids. But um, it is super scary. Uh, when I imagine myself with a family, it's usually like, in the middle of nowhere and not in a city um, kind of removed from society, but like not so, fully, but you know, so then the dystopia doesn't matter. You can do it now. <laughs> anyways. Um, but I, am I worried about the future? Yeah, I am. Um, I think like, you know, maybe my parents had the same conversation before they made me like, What's going to happen to our children? And that's a fair, you know, like the thing is, is like one, I know that at least my kids, they might not be libertarians, but I'm going to raise them to question the narrative. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not going to raise them to be conspiracy theorists, but I'm going to raise them to, to question this narrative that we've all been living under of like the notion of public safety has just totally destroyed our government. (laughs) Honestly, every time I go into committee and there's like a really bad argument against a good bill, it's, they always bring up public safety. It drives me crazy. Well, and, and Rothbard talked about this. He said that they would use scientism to once, once people lost respect for politicians, they would shift it towards this, uh, you know, appeal to authority with science and public public health and public safety is much along those same lines where it's like, this is for your own good. So we can do whatever the fuck we want to you. (laughs) Yeah. But I think there's still a level of freedom um, to where I could feel confident in my kids not having to go through the same things I did. Um, And like, you know, I I've considered doing homeschooling, like a micropod school, if you know what those are. Sure. Um, not that I even have kids now, so I don't know why I'm thinking about schooling options. You, you have some for real baby fever if you've already thought about how the schooling is going to work out. I I'm, you know, it, it happens, you know, I'm a 22 year old woman. So it happens. You, you have so much time. How many kids do you want? Um, I always said like two or three, but like, 
I don't know. <laughs> You're like seven. Maybe like five. I don't know. <laughs> I just Holy want shit. so uh, many. You know. <laughs> But like, I don't know, the coolest thing you can do is to like have kids and like raise them to be little mini news just fighting against the government alongside you. You know, this is what I've been this is what I've been. uh, I've been tweeting this at MJ. Yeah. (laughs) Leave her alone. Oh, my God. you've been but, victim you've been victim to my reply guy i just think it's funny I, and if if people actually get me i think they understand that it's playful yeah. but if they don't and they think i'm a creep i think they i hope they at least think i'm a funny creep because i think it's funny yeah that's fair that's <laughs> fair but i think it'll be fine i'm actually like i'm usually not very blackpilled about the future um just because I don't know why I have this unshakable belief that people will come to the same conclusions I have, but I just think it like at a certain point, I've always been this person. Like if it's that bad, I'm going to work to make things better and change my mindset. Cause like, I just can't be stuck in darkness for too long. And I hope at least that the majority of people can't either. Um, And you know, I don't know what's going to happen with social media, but I think like that is going to have to implode on itself in some way in order mm. for people to come to the same conclusions I have. I think it's really, really screwed us all up. Interesting. Um, well, I think there's thoughts too much. Yeah. Well, that's definitely true. Well, let me give you a little bit of optimism since I'm older than you. I'll tell you when I was, when I was in high school, there was a bunch of ideas that I never thought I'd see in my life, but mm-hmm. there's this, this, I, I believe that the libertarians stand on true ground. They stand on truth. Yeah. So truth has this tendency over time, slow as it might, to just kind of seep into people's brains and like gay marriage and drug legalization and all these other things that I never thought. And an anti-war movement under the Republican yeah, Party, like right? these things that that seemed unimaginable. Oh, look at you. So happy. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think that that there's a chance that some of the, the more radical ideas we have today, like peaceful secession and and actually ending the wars um, and ending critical race theory as, a, as this, you know, societal ethos. I think that all of these these things are are inevitably going to take hold. And in our lifetimes, we will see them come to pass. That's as optimistic and as white pilled as I can possibly get. So. I think you're completely correct. Um, hey, look at us both yeah. optimistic. Love it. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, like, take a look at... I grew up reading dystopian fiction um, in all of my gifted classes. <laughs> um, and See, also, I knew you were... I said gifted angel. That's exactly right. <laughs> yes, I was a gifted kid. Jesus. Um, <laughs> all of the stereotypes hold true, but... <laughs> So yeah. was I, if it makes you feel yeah, better. That's fair. Um, but like, I remember reading all of these dystopian novels and then studying like North Korea. And I, I get really fascinated by like weird countries. It's one of my pet interests. Me too. Is to research countries that most people don't think about. Um, and a lot of those are really dystopian societies. And if you notice, they always fail at completely 
propagandizing a nation. Like there's always a light yeah. in, in the pitch black room. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, the truth is always going to be out there. Um, whether people want to come to accept it or not is up to them, whether they want to be brave enough to, to have wrong think is up to right. them. Right. But well, it will always be there, even yeah. if it's just a tiny little glimmer. Um, and I think that's what, that's what keeps us moving forward. I mean, America itself is supposed to be the epitome of um, like liberty and democracy, if that's your thing. <laughs> um, and the principles of a free society, you know? So I don't, I don't think we can get too, too far off the wagon before we, we kind of start coming back. back. Belgium, the, the cops are beating the crap out of anti-lockdown protesters. And like, you know, I, I foresee in that society, there's probably going to be a big Liberty movement rising up after that. You know, that's true. People don't tolerate authoritarianism for too long. They, they can do it for a lot longer than you'd expect, but once they finally see a, a chink in the armor where they can be like, we can go get our fucking freedom back. They move yeah. quick. And I think that that's the hope is that the, the resentment will build to a point that we actually get back to it. And I'll, I'll finish it with this. Isaac Morehouse came on my show and he told me this great story and I'm going to butcher it, but I think you'll enjoy it. It'll make you feel good. So I'm going to tell you, I think it was Poland. He said, in like the 19, I don't know, forties or something. And they had some sort of communist control over the country. And there was this like free radio channel that mm -hmm. it was rebel radio. It was illegal, but they would broadcast out every night at the same time, just spreading this message of like revolutionary freedom. Yeah. And someone went there, I think from America, maybe he said it was the eighties. I don't know. I'm butchering this. Like I said, anyways. Yeah. Uh, and, and someone went there and he asked the, the radio operators, he said, how do you know that people are listening? And he said, well, about a year ago, we had been doing it for a while. We had no idea who was listening. So we said, because they, they would record at night, we said, everybody, if you're listening, flash your lights. And he said that the entire city of Poland, in, including the cars, but also the apartments, like all the lights started going off and on. So I feel like there's a lot of hope. Beautiful. I know it, isn't it? So yeah. that's, why, that's why I wanted to leave you with that. I think, it's, I think there's a chance that there's way more people awake not just in America, but globally that are sensing, you know, we have access to the internet. Even if you, if you grew up in like some dystopic hell, hell hole, you still have a sense of what true freedom is all about. And there's no way that's not appealing. I just, I refuse to believe it. So let's I agree. Hope. I agree. Yeah. Awesome. That's a beautiful message to end with, man. <laughs> <laughs> let's, get that white pill. Let's, get all, let's get all hippie with it. Uh, <laughs> Follow her on Twitter at Liberty Anders. Is there any other contacts you would like to let people know about? No, that's it. Yeah. All right. You the best. We out. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all.
Welcome to Liberty Lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweet from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus you're scared of Will come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane You're probably wondering What's happening Scared Hollywood Left these lyrical feppin' A typo with Luke Might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit Didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot But now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip for 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe